Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bringing Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and founder of This Is HCD and CEO of ThisIsDoing.com, where we provide live online design and innovation classes, providing training for service designers, design researchers, product managers, user experience designers, content designers, and much, much more. Now, today in the show, we have Emma Jones from Sydney. Emma is a champion of diversity in design and technology and founder and CEO of projectf.com.au, an organization that works with other organizations to help them improve their diversity internally. Did you know that 56% of women quit working in tech industry, a statistic that has doubled the rate of men? We speak at length about this in this episode, so it's a really good one. I was excited to speak to Emma, so let's jump straight into it. Emma Jones, a very warm welcome to Bringing Design Closer. How are you? I'm pretty damn good, actually. Thank you. Still enjoying those warm spring days of Sydney. I know. We've spoken about this. We've been catching up for a little bit before we started recording. But for any of the listeners who don't know who you are, I know in Sydney, you know, in Australia, people would be familiar with Emma Jones from Project F. But we're going to sort of jump into that. But tell us where you are, what you're doing, where you're currently located right now as we're speaking. I'm on the northern beaches of Sydney, so ne- yeah. quite near to Manly. Yeah. Anybody who's from this area would know Manly pretty well. An awful part of the world. Yeah, and a lot of exactly awful, awful beaches. Yeah. Number yeah. voted number one beach in the world, or something. I don't know. Possibly, yeah. allegedly. But yeah, I'm originally from Southwest London, Fulham, as you can yeah. probably tell by my impeccable accent, yeah. which I've hung on to dearly although the brits will probably be going oh she's got that aussie twang which is annoying but no i've been living here in on the northern beaches of sydney for the last about nearly 10 years now Mm. wow 10 years yeah yeah it's mad i I remember when you arrived in australia that's so i i remember catching up with you when you when you arrived i've known emma for a long time for for about 10 years since you arrived in australia yeah yeah we had some mutual connections at that stage and i caught up with you and a lot of what's happened in the last 10 years, I've said this to you before, as I left Australia, has been down to you, giving me a good kick up the bum. <gasps> I me, did. You did. You said, you need to get out there and you need to start talking about what you're talking to me about. I did. And, um, I was in a I cafe said, okay. in Mossman, as I it recall. Was, yeah. It was, yeah. And I, I sat there and I went home and I was like, I remember it was one of those meetings that I was sick that day. I was actually, I was off work sick and I was nearly going to cancel on you and I, I didn't. And I went, and afterwards I went home and I, I bought my, my own name as a domain straight yes. away. I went home and I was like, I bought my domain. And I was like, okay, I need, I need to do some more stuff. But so a lot of it's down, down to, you know, you give me that go. kick. And, you know, you, you had small feet, but it definitely hurt kicking up the bum. <laughs> it was, it was one, of those, one of those kicks that I needed. So I appreciate that and I, thank you. 
in fairness, you've given me a few in in, in the years following that. So. Quit that job. Get out of there. <laughs> Do Get it. started. Come on. Now look at you. Exactly. See, so I can say thank you as well. Emma, now you've had many kind of sort of transformations in your career, but what I'm most interested in now and what we're going to speak today is the business that you formed and you had formed it when I was in Australia called Project F, but it's taken on a life of its own and I've been watching and I've been championing you from afar and you know celebrating and clapping the screen and I sent you sent you messages saying I really am I'm so happy to to see what you're doing and I love speaking with you and I've always loved speaking with you and I'm, I'm really excited today to learn more about this but for our listeners tell us where and what Project F is and where it started. So Project F is a social impact business with a very clear purpose to improve the representation of women in technology. And when I say representation, I mean, it's it's kind of a retention strategy, really. The idea is is very much to focus on that middle of the of the pipeline, if you like, rather than the top of it. Because huge numbers of women in technology actually leave at the midpoint of their career. So 56% of them at the moment, which is uh, more than double the number of men that leave wow. technology. And and that's that's pretty rough. And it's not to have children before the people go, oh, yeah, well, women mm. have babies. They, they, you don't leave an industry to have kids. You, you, you might go and have, come back, but yeah, from a job. But so, so that the purpose is to attack that, is to really approach the solving the problem in the right place. Uh, just it started, I think, for me when I was working as a head of talent in a software company a few years back. And having been in people and culture for 25 odd years by then, I was like, wow, you know, this it was a great job and it was a lot of fun. But I was mm. seeing the problem firsthand that, you know, I had all these, there, there were just hardly any women in our technology team. And I, I, couldn't quite understand why and one day one of the the girls one of the two women I think we had came to me and said oh, can I talk to you I'm, I'm really worried that I was hired as a token female I'd heard that they they didn't have women and they, they wanted to hire someone and I think that's why they hired me and you know, yeah and I, I, she now works for Twitter I think over in San Francisco but she was a junior back then and she was incredible and the impact that she had on the team was seriously it was quite incredible culturally and you know just the way they thought they didn't used to do pair programming because the CTO didn't like pair programming and she loved pair programming and so she negotiated bringing it back and it turned out the others preferred it and you know and she just had such a huge impact but the point I'm making is that that experience showed me that there were some some seriously deeply mm. embedded problems that were creating barriers to changing this you know to solving it yeah and so i was seen as just being a, a woman in hr getting on a soapbox mm. when i talked about it and i recognized that if if the cto had something to say about it then that was probably going to have a, a much better outcome mm. than me trying to change it and it was always the women trying to you know push this agenda yeah. so I set about educating myself and going off and, and trying to find some solutions to mm. harness the leaders take on this and get an understanding of, of where leaders sat, um, stood on this and 
I came across Male Champions of Change, which is is tackling the same problems, but from a high sort of level policy change. Mm. You know, and having some really great results in doing that across sports and media and government and all sorts of different sectors. Yeah. But then when I dug into tech, I realized that tech has this ridiculous stereotype that is massively out of date, but is, you know, from it's formed in the 60s. And yet we're still living with this stereotype of this nerdy guy. And hence, we've, we've created these, these environments for, for these nerdy boys with Nerf guns and, and ping pong tables yeah. and craft beers and, I don't know, your scooters and yeah you know and arcade games and shit like that and I just think when I started to recognize this pattern I thought what you know what are we doing why are we just you know we're we're complaining that there aren't enough women in it and yet we're all we're doing is making the problem worse every day because people just don't think about it Um, and there's so much data out there I thought I've I've got to be able to do something about this and that's that's where it started so so yeah, I, I remember when you started, male championing change was almost, it was at the time when I was about to leave Australia, and it was 2018, it was in around that, that time. But wh- where do you think that stereotype, I mean, you mentioned it comes from the 60s, but wh- where does it come from, and what kind of person, kind of, or like, a, w- w- what's amplifying that? Like, so it hasn't gone away, what, why hasn't it gone away, that stereotype? If you've ever seen the film, have you seen the film Hidden Figures? No. Oh, it's such a good really? film. Yeah, it's such out. a good film. It's about all the, the, the women that did all the computing um, behind the NASA. It was all these black women back in the 50s. and So this is the thing, right? So back in the 50s, 40s and 50s, it was all women that did computing. There were no men. It was seen as a clerical kind of support job. Wow. If you like. So all women did it and it was manual. And then in the 60s, and they were known as the computer girls. And then in the 60s, in the sort of early mid 60s, IBM built this big first computer called the ENIAC. And so the women were then programming this machine and then started to teach, had to teach the men how to program it because there weren't enough people to to do this new vocation. They didn't mm. have a vocation. They didn't call it programming. It was a woman that actually um, created that, that term. But there was this group of the ENIAC women and they taught the guys how to, how to use this machine and how to program it. And then the, what happened was IBM in 1966 got these two guys, these two psychologists to create a social profile of what a programmer should look like. So they were doing all the normal cognitive tests, the mathematical, verbal reasonings, or what have you, that they had defined. And that was all good, but they wanted a social profile so they could cast wider and, and really go out and find the right sort of profile of person to hire for these roles. And these yeah. two guys, you can still find it if you Google it, um, they created this report based on their research and findings that said that the ideal programmer is a socially inept man who likes maths and puzzles, but doesn't really like people. I am paraphrasing, you understand, yeah. but that's in a nutshell, that's what they came up with. I'm not exaggerating. That stuck. Yeah, it stuck. So, so there was born this stereotype that we now see today. So then they went out obviously and hired against this social profile. So before long, the 
environment of programming was overrepresented by this geeky man who does, yeah. you know, who's socially inept guy. And so from the outside looking in, you'd say, well, that's obviously what it requires. So it was kind of a self-perpetuating situation. Mm. Then in the early 80s, when video games came out, if you go back and look at the yeah. marketing of video games, it was almost exclusively marketed for bo- to boys. So yeah. there was that. And then the personal computer that followed after that, the PC, was marketed yeah. to affluent men who, you know, for something to sort of toy with and tinker with and, you know, what have you. But by this time, women were just, you know, they, they'd self-selected out. They could see, as far as they were concerned, that tech was not for their, a place for them, for women. You can't be what you can't see. Yes, exactly. And then you shoot forward from, you know, what we're living with is that legacy where you've you've now mm. got a very male-dominated environment catering to a certain demographic. And if girls now look at a career opportunity or career choices, you know, who can they see? What are they what do they look up and see? Boys can see Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, that, that it goes on. There's a there's a big list of, of all the people that we think of automatically in household names. And boys see that and go, okay, well, that's a really obvious choice for me. But girls don't yeah. see that. And that's why until we change that, the leadership end of the scale, if we can affect some change there, that will in turn have an impact on the top of funnel pipeline because there's always the complaint that oh it's not enough women in going into tech you know and you have to just stop and go why aren't they going in instead of just mm. complaining about the fact they're not going into it you have to look at the reasons why and why aren't they well, but, at the moment so like let's talk about like you know representation is one thing but like, why are they still, or, or are they still, has it changed in the last well, there's a f- five, 10 years? No, not not dramatically. So there's a few reasons why. One okay. of them is what we've just talked about. So they, they don't, again, they generally just don't see themselves. If they think of a career, they don't think, oh, I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs or Bill Gates mm-hmm. or whatever. That's just not, there, there are no role models or hardly any role models. And so there is that issue. This, another issue is that they're not being nurtured into those careers. So, yeah. you know, when they when it comes to the education um, part of it, they're not getting that same nurturing that boys do, that, you know, the AI and robotics classes and what have you. Are, are, again, they appeal to the boys and they're designed to appeal to the boys. Yeah. And when you look at university that, you know, here in Australia, we've got, I'm not sure what it's like over in the UK now, but I can't imagine it's too much better. Or or Ireland. Or Ireland. Just to pick up there. Or Or Ireland. Ireland. Go ahead. The Australian, we have about an average of 16% of the computer science degrees are taken by women. And that's across Australia. There was a piece of research that was done that had a massive impact, which I thought was really interesting because this is another Mm -hmm. reason is that the computer science degrees are incredibly competitive. The way that they are designed or or run or whatever, they always have been. So it's about being the best coder. So the culture of that degree is highly competitive amongst the people doing it. And that doesn't appeal to women. So what they found when they did some research on this, I think it was either UT, it was either the, UTS, University Technology Sydney or the University of Sydney, they had stayed at 
I think they were 15, they went from 15% to 16% in 10 years of trying to change it as if their words, not mine. We were just trying to put lipstick on a pig is what they said, trying to make it look more attractive. And then they, they engaged a bunch of people outside of the academia to help them with this. One of which I, as I know, was Sally Ann Williams from, who was at Google for years working on the, the STEM side of things for them. And mm. what this research showed up was that, in fact, women, when they take a highly technical uh, degree course, they want to marry that with the ability to solve a, a real-world problem. And that's not what these things, th- this degree is doing. And so they changed it. They introduced – they made it a, a four-year degree with a three-year exit point, and they said it's two majors. So it becomes a double degree. So you have computer science and either – whether it's UI or psychology or whatever. And they went from 17% to 29% in one year. Whoa, okay. So that was huge. Yeah. Just with that kind of, you know, different approach to, you know, the, the research and thinking, okay, let's look at where women are well represented and look at those degrees and let's combine them. Yeah. And give people the women the opportunity to do both. So it's not that they don't want to do computer science; they just don't want to go into this competitive environment where it's about being the best coder. They actually want to use what they're learning and apply it. Yeah, you know. So yeah. that was the secret. Education's got a huge role to play in this, and it's in in Ireland in particular. Like it's something that I'm deeply passionate about, attracting people into design, but also everyone like just attracting people into design from schools so design is seen as a as, as a as a still a creative thing it's still like art if you're good in art in school you might go to art college where design lives so yeah. you're, you're kind of watering down the potential there of having great designers coming out because and then there's the other problem that you know design generally is overrepresented by by males and by men it's a bigger problem. So I can deeply relate to the, some of the, the stuff that you're talking about there and the role that academia has to play in helping shape those outcomes. It's it's a bigger problem. You know, you, you're asking, you know, so why aren't, aren't there more women in tech? And the other, you know, one of the biggest things, so I, what we've just talked about is, you know, them being, women being attracted to tech as a career. Mm. But the one of the biggest problems is keeping them in tech so they're they're not in senior roles no but what i was going to say is when when they're welcomed into this these cultures the cultures are very male dominated and they're they're actually the behaviors and rituals are very male centric they are and are men centric should i say and from just being in there like it's i've worked in those organizations i don't find it comfortable myself and I can kind of speak the speak and, you know, walk the walk and, you know, do the talk and all that kind of stuff that you say, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel no. inclusive. They're like frat houses, a lot of them, you know, Very it's all, so. yeah, yeah. And that's why I say it's Friday. Exactly. They're designed yeah. for a specific demographic. You just walk into a tech company and you know, you're in a tech company, you know, you're in a, even if you're in a, I don't know, financial services company and you walk around the building and it's all very lovely and marketing has got lots of plants and pictures and soft furnishings and, you know, HR is very, very nice too. And then you go into into the tech 
team into the the engineering team and it's not as nice it's designed around a certain demographic i did a whole talk on this at web directions last year and you know went through the whole historic thing and had lots of pictures of these environments and then the pictures of you know if you look at the the design the people who are designing these co-working spaces now they've you know they've cleverly looked at the fact that I think it's something like 44% of these co-working spaces are populated by women. And so they've designed them to appeal to women as well as men. And so, I mean, I work at Fishburners, which is in the Sydney startup hub um, where all the other startups are and they're all co-working spaces and they've got lots of sofas and cushions and rugs and artwork and plants and, Mm. you know, and it's really quite a lovely place to work. And that's by design. It's yeah. not just happened, it's by design, as are the tech spaces. They are what they are by design. So tell us, Project F, what do you do for these businesses? So say, what does a client, a good client look like for Project F initially? Well, how do you identify them? It's a bit like oh, good old Simon Sinek says, that mm. you have to find people who love what you love. Right, so a good company for Project F would be a company that cares, honestly, cares about diversity and inclusion. They want to create an environment where everyone can thrive. And they recognize that not only is it good for their people, but it's also good for their business. How are you identifying those? Like, how, how do you how do you suss out that? Because there's, there's a case for websites there that kind of go, we've got a purpose. And, you know, they say these things, yeah. but really when you scratch beneath the surface, there's not that much difference. Correct. So they are attracted by what we do because we talk very openly about re- trying to remove the lip service from diversity and inclusion and get rid of the smoke and mirrors. So when the companies where HR, their HR teams are focused very much on what I call window dressing, so, you know, creating something that looks good, but, you know, it, it's a bit like if you, if your budget for D&I or diversity and inclusion is less than your, I think it was Aubrey Blanche who said this recently, if your budget for D&I is less than your budget for swag or snacks or whatever, yeah. then that's probably not a company that we're going to be, that are going to yeah. be too interested in working with us. Just to stop um, you there, what, what typically you know, what's the ratio of investment into DNI from a tech company in relation to, say, something like training? Minimal. It'll Minimal. be tiny by comparison. For the most part, it'll be tiny by comparison. You know, a company who is spending, who is spending, a lot of them don't even have budget for DNI. So they'll have a budget for learning and development that might be 100 grand a year, but they might have, they'll have no budget assigned Mm. to diversity and inclusion so they'll have to find the conversations I have mostly they have to find where they can put the budget they'll Mm. often ask me where's what's the cost and so they can think about which budget they can assign it to and it's either the tech budget or it's the people and culture budget and can they put it onto learning and development yeah it's not a learning program but or you know some other form of of change so typically, how are they managing DNI? Like, so what's the current state that you're you're looking at when you go into those organisations? How do they manage that? They tend to quite often it's diversity and inclusion is managed on an overarching. You know, it's it's one 
thing. Mm. It's not by department. So in, in for Project F, we 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 work with any sector agnostic. It doesn't matter what type of company it is. Any company that has a a technology team or a you know a digital capability will have a tech team, and it's likely to have a minority. The women will be a minority in that team. So. Companies generally will talk about the diversity as a whole. So they'll say, okay, we're 50-50. And, and so this is when I'm talking about gender diversity as opposed to cultural or any other. And there are many types. So they'll have a an overall. So they'll talk about cultural diversity at the same time as gender diversity and neurodiversity and all the other things. And they'll talk about all the things they do to cater for those things. So they may have great access for, they might have, you know, really good access for people with disabilities. They may have, you know, made their building very accessible. They may have made their products very accessible. You know, they may have a lot of great cultural initiatives and, you know, cater for for different cultural identities and maybe LGBTQI is their focus. And they've got 50-50 in terms of gender split, etc. So they'll look at it as an overall thing, which is not a bad thing problem we have with technology and this is why I focus very much you know it's a laser focus on just technology is that technology is the future of our world right and we have a very diverse world and currently the technology products and services are being built by pretty much one demographic and you know a, a homogenous group of people and you know half the population are women. So even in a company where they've got 50-50, if you ask them, what's the representation or what's the gender split in your technology team, the chance is likely to be around 15%. Anywhere between, you know, 10 or from what I see, anything between eight and about 22 would be enough, you know, somewhere in that, in, in that range, which means that those, the women in those teams will be quite isolated. And the career paths are probably quite restricted as well in terms of progression. They'll be restricted for by a number of reasons that sit within the systems and processes of an organisation. Mm. That's the bit that we focus on is solving that problem. Yeah. So most companies, again, they kind of don't want you to see the problem child. And the companies that we align to are the ones that actually want to tackle the problem child. They're not afraid to say, we're not perfect. We we have a problem here and we don't mm. know how to solve it. You've mentioned a couple of clients that you're currently working with. Are you okay to talk about some of them? Sure. I mean, I talk about Canva because they're a, yeah. a good example because they're an early adopter and, you know, so they were the first client that we actually yeah. brought on onto the program. Huge Australian success story. Yeah. Oh, you know, incredible business. Incredible. And they've got a female one of the founders is is a, a woman, so that's Melanie yeah. Perkins, very young and driven and hugely successful. She's only in her early thirties now, and yeah. the company's found five billion or something recently. It was it's a hell of a success story. Yeah. But as with any other company, as much as they've got a great culture and they're known for their culture and a great set of products, they have the same problem as everybody else. What so about, they have tell us what problems they came to you with. Well, the fact that they were about 16% women in their technology teams and they didn't like it and they didn't know how to how to fix it. They were growing at such a rate that they had to take – and they're very, very high bar in terms of their recruiting processes and the 
types of people that they're hiring in the tech teams and the engine is a very engineering led culture as well. So they would be competing with the likes of Google and Atlassian and Amazon Web Services and so on for for talent. And but they're growing at such a rate that it was just getting worse. And they, you know, they wanted to to get a handle on this. How do we fix this? Hmm. They know it's not just about branding, right? It's yeah. not just about saying, oh, we're great. You know, they actually had to figure out what were the right things to focus on. And so that's where I'd started having conversations with them because I knew them quite well generally from having worked in this ecosystem and my men championing change meetup group. So I knew the the engineering leaders in there relatively well anyway. So they knew what we were doing and said, can you come and talk to us about it? And when I told them what it was that, what the program was, they were like, we have to do this. This is exactly what we need because we need to be able to look at, we have so many different initiatives. We're trying Mm. to, you know, grow the foundations to support the rapid growth of this organization. And we care about the people to the degree that we need to know what it is that we don't know. Yeah. So what are we not doing? What are we? What do, should we be focusing on? So we did a. We got them on the program late last year, and they've been an absolute dream. Actually, they're so on board with it and so keen and eager to to fix the problems. And we have regular progress updates and calls with the heads of uh, technology and the people who are involved in, as a steering group on the the program and they're starting to see some results now so they shared recently with me some of the results of the conversion rate so the attraction and conversion is already up Mm. which is a really promising sign and later on and it will take a while it's always going to be a slow burn but later on they'll start to see the retention improving as well so it was just a case of doing a deep dive and looking at what they're doing doing the proper analysis that was required to be able to show them Mm. the areas they need to, the highest impact areas. And none of them are are, are quick wins or very few of them are quick wins. It's all going to be stuff that will take time. So you provide, you you conduct an audit and you provide a framework, Mm. is it, for them to follow? It's a roadmap really with some milestones. So we provide a detailed roadmap that shows the areas of highest impact and why, you know, the data that it's it's based Mm. on. And then we agree with them what the milestones are from there so they can break it down into this sort of size of pieces of work and projects that can come out of this that will fit in with their overall, you know, the other objectives that they're working on as an organization. Because it's mostly, you know, it, it's not technology specific. It's mm. it's about people. And of course, yeah. every other part of the business is going to benefit from the mm. work that's done as well. It's not just that this it'll have a more dramatic impact on, on technology, but every part of the business. Can you talk to me a little bit more around those process changes? So what are the things that you're seeing that needs to change? Like, obviously... Something is some, something like a job description being created to attract people is is a yeah is a, really a simple thing. It's a minor but, one. That that's actually but, quite a minor one. But it, it allows them to focus on what they're actually trying to to say. Yeah, yeah. some places might need that more than others, and mm. it'll be different from different from one company to another. But the typical things that we see that are areas of high impact will be things like leadership capability. Mm -hmm. You know, inclusive leadership is not something that is given 
uh, it's not an automatic thing that a technology leader has gained over their career. Um, at the point at which they start becoming responsible for people, they may well not have an understanding of what inclusive leadership even means or looks like, let alone how to do it. And they're often not given the time you know, in order to actually focus on leadership. So leadership capability is a big one. You know, learning how to manage a flexible workforce so that they can actually hire people that aren't full time and hire a workforce that is is more flexible. That's a skill set that not everybody automatically has. So mm. putting some effort into addressing these leadership capability needs is a big one. Another one is is managing performance. So performance, it's a huge huge area for bias to have an impact and and Mm. creep in and really do some damage if it's not watertight Uh, and you know that is a not an easy thing to achieve Mm. so performance review processes are often looser than they should be and in environments in technology environments you often want these kind of very social groups to form and it's it feels great but the downside is that it can actually do some real damage to the ability for women to progress. And I've, I've got to say this because the easiest way to demonstrate this is to tell you about or to use the example of, did you used to watch Friends? Yeah. Do Popular, you remember? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the episode where Rachel smokes? Come on, it's 20-odd years ago. But v- okay. Uh, maybe. Somebody, okay, I'll remind you. Okay. I've seen them all a million times probably, but... <laughs> The one where she smokes is where she goes for her dream job. I think it was at Ralph Lauren or Ralph somewhere. Lauren, yeah. And and she's love it. She's on her first day and she's with her boss in the and they're all ideating and you know doing stuff in in the office and she's loving it. And then they get they get up and go right cigarette and they all go out to, and they like you come in Rachel. Do you? She I don't smoke. So she goes. They go off. And what happens over the next few days is this keeps happening. And she keeps hearing about all these things that have these parties and these meetings and these projects, and she wasn't part of them. I remember. And yeah. she's hating this. So one day she walks outside to the smoking area and they go, oh, I didn't know you smoked. She goes, oh, yeah, you know. I've been... Anyway, so then she gets into the. Then that's, that's exactly what happens is these in and out groups that mm. form in yeah. these very social environments. And you can see that in the data that yeah. comes out of the performance reviews is that people are treated differently based on these groups yeah. and it's not intentional it's completely unconscious no one intends to do that but it has a detrimental effect on women's ability yeah. to progress they're not seen in the same light or the same importance as men in those organizations yeah so it's it's all about just you know focusing on structure and how things are structured and the processes you've got in place that can remove those dangers yeah so a large part of this is is a within the audit it's a cultural understanding of the rituals and what it looks yeah. like and identifying those things and calling them out as part of the roadmap presumably yeah it's giving yeah, yeah exactly so it's giving them the clarity that they need yeah. to see what's actually happening and mm. then giving them the tools to fix that you know what the clarity around what they they actually need to do to change it so what does a what does an engagement look like for Project F then? Is it like you do the audit and is it a six month thing or six week thing or is it a ten it, year it's, thing? They're in it for life, really. <laughs> yeah, I've got you. They can't get rid of you. <laughs> well, because the idea is that you know what we want them to do is to stay on the journey because it's not 
a short-term thing. You, it's not like you can just plug something in and it's going to solve your problem. Cultural change of any description takes time. But in the same way as behavior change, if you're trying to change, you know, a whole sector's behavior or whatever with a design, then it, you're not going to expect to see results immediately. So we want them to continue to maintain the commitment. And we also want to support them through that journey as well. So I think the whole program probably, you know, from start to achieving the first set of milestones is probably anything between eight months and a year and then next set of milestones after that depends on the company yeah absolutely completely but i suspect these things can be quite ongoing so you mentioned when we were speaking earlier on that you've got a startup uh, how did you call it it was a startup framework toolkit toolkit a toolkit Talk, talk a, to me about why you've done this and what's involved and what's inside that toolkit. Because you've only got a hundred of them to give away, isn't it? Well, no, we've got, we, so it's, there's as many as there needs to be, but it, it's free to the first hundred. There's two types and it's free to the first hundred for each, which I think will be quite sufficient at the at the outset. So we've got two toolkits. What we want to do is to be generous to, to tech startups. We want them to be the future of diversity and inclusion in technology. So we, we want to give them the tools that they need. And even when, if once those hundred are taken, it's only like $50 or something, but it's more about the commitment. So what we want to do is give every startup the opportunity and the, the tools they need to lay the foundations to build a gender balanced organization. So from the ground up, so from the time they're one person to making their first handful of hires and then beyond so but they they don't develop that otherwise inevitable diversity debt that everybody else would get in technology which is almost unavoidable otherwise so there's two versions one is called pledge which is a bit like the pledge one percent type thing it's it's asking companies to for anything but so a company between one person and 20 people. So when you're really small and you've got nothing and you're just starting and you're very ambitious, you might have a bit of funding. Um, you might not, might be bootstrapping, whatever. But we want them to be able to, if they care about this, to say, I'm pledging to grow a gender balanced technology business from day one. And so we give them the foundational policies they'll need, so a code of conduct, a diversity and inclusion policy, and a hiring kit, which has everything you need in it, a job template and a guide and the process kit as well. So for interviewing, the whole thing. Because I think that's what they need at that point. Yeah. They just don't know what they're doing or where to go or how to go about it. So we give them all that all that they need for that part of it. And of course, they can display the logo on their website, which is a beacon to women in tech to say if they want to go join a startup yeah we have the basics we have the stuff that shows you we're committed to this yeah. you're not going to join a boys club yeah. it also is attractive to investors as well so they want to know that you're you're thinking about the long term and sustainability mm. and growing a gender balanced business as well the second one which is so if you're over 20 people but under 60 people then we've got the entire toolkit which is everything and it's got everything you could possibly need for hiring, for growing and developing and for the long term of running. So there's templates, there's guides, Mm. there's policies and there's 
framework. So there's everything you could possibly need. So all your foundational policies, whether it's flexible working, parental, equal parental leave, diversity and inclusion, etc. And then your EVP guide, your hiring guide, and then all your inclusive leadership, training, everything is in there. But it's all written with the startup in mind. So it's very simple. And you can literally put your logo on it, embed it, plug and play. So it's everything. If people want to try and get that, where where is it? Projectf.com.au? Is that the website where they need to go to do it? It is. It's not actually up on there as yet because I literally only last uh, launched it last week. It's going out through Blackbird Ventures. Okay. And then it's other accelerators and um, VCs, but they can go on there and put the contact sheet. There's a, you know, contact us and just drop us a note and we'll send the overview. It will go up there in the next couple of weeks, I expect. By the time this goes out, it'll probably be up there. Hopefully I'll I'll drop a link to the website and to the toolkit as well in the show notes. Emma, you know, I love you and you know, I love speaking with you, but if people want to do the same and they want to speak with you, what's the best way of doing it? On the website, again, they can just go to the website and drop me a note. There's, I think there's a way to book a meeting. There's a, you know, book a meeting with me on there and there's just, just send me a note on the contact. In fact, I even think my phone number might be on there. Oh no. But don't ring me in the middle of the night, will you? Oh no, no, no. I would never, I barely call anyone anyway. So it won't be from me if you do get a phone call from Ireland. But you're, you are on Twitter. I know your, your Twitter handle is. I'm on Twitter. I'm Ms. on. Jones and Sydney. Yes, Ms. Jones in Sydney. I'm on, you know, that I always say you can't, you can take the girl out of London. Yeah. So I'm also on Instagram, LinkedIn. Yeah. The Facebook. I'll throw, a link whatever. To, I'll throw a link to all of those in, into the show notes as well. Okay. Emma, great speaking with you. I'll chat to you soon. You too. Thank you, Jerry. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.